At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. But this morning, I want to begin by asking you this question. Has someone in your life that you loved let you down? Go, go, go back to the, that moment. Maybe there's multiple moments, but right now in your mind and heart, I want you to go back to that moment where someone that you trusted, someone that you loved, someone that made promises to you let you down. Can you feel the pain again this morning? Can you feel the betrayal this morning? It's a painful place to be when someone lets you down. When someone who's supposed to be there for you, someone that makes promises and says, hey, I'll be there, I'll show up, I'll always be there, and then they're gone or they fail. It's not a fun place to be. But it's our common experience. We live almost every single day either letting someone down or being let down by someone. Or someone not keeping their word or someone not doing this for us like they said they would. And so we live in that constant reality and then we come to the place where our common experience, our everyday experience, and what the Bible teaches us to do conflict with one another. I, I think this is the reason that so many times we find it difficult just to take God at his word. Right? God makes promises all the time. This is a book of promises. This is a book of promises. That God says, this is what I want to do for you. I love you. I want to care for you. I want to provide for you. I want to show you the way in which I want you to live. I've got all of this for you. And yet, we come to God's word and we read it. And we're like, but that, that's not my everyday experience. God, I find it difficult to trust in you. So instead of trusting in your word, maybe I'm going to take some time and just try to control everything. Right? Because everyone else lets me down, guess what? I'm not going to let myself down. And guess what happens? You inevitably let yourself down. And so we're lost in this place of who do I trust? Where do I go? How can I really live? So today, as we jump into 1 Kings chapter 17, I want us through this series as we're beginning today, I want us to begin to learn what it looks like to take God at his word. Though everyone else will let you down, God will never, ever, ever let you down. God's promises are true. God's words are true. 
And today, as we begin this series, we're going to be looking at a man named Elijah. Now, you may not know much about Elijah. You, you may be like brand new to the church, but if you've been in the church for a while, your mind now is spinning. You're like, okay, what do I know about Elijah? And we all know, those that have been in the church for a while, know that Elijah is a spiritual giant. Like when you look back into the annals of history and you look back into the Old Testament, I, I, Elijah stands up as a man that was like amazing. A man of faith, a man of obedience, a man that stood before kings and called them out. Like Elijah was an amazing man. And sometimes we come to characters like that in scripture and we're like, man, what, what is it about Elijah? Like he must have had like super, super spiritual spidey senses inside of him. Right? There must have been something different about him. He must have had like an ear with God and God must have been so close to his heart and all that. And so we read people about this and we're, sometimes we're struggling. We're like, I could never be like Elijah. But then we come to James chapter 5, verse 17 in the New Testament. And this is what James says about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man just like you and just like me. He's just a guy. And what we're going to see over this series is what was it about this normal man, this everyday normal man that God used to do mighty things. What was it about him? And today we're gonna to see two things about Elijah's life that I pray become the foundation of our own lives. Today as we look at 1 Kings chapter 17, let me give you the context of scripture. We're, we're now in a time, because it's the book of Kings, Right? Remember, God had called his people together and God led them out of Egypt um, from slavery into the promised land through Moses and then through Joshua. And uh, they began to look around and they began to see every other nation had kings. And they're like, Lord, give us a king. Lord, give us a king. And God's like, you really don't want a king. And God's people are like, yeah, we really do. And so God's like, okay, I'll give you a king. And so he gives them a king. And then we see Saul comes on the scene and uh, Saul's a terrible king. And then we see David who comes into king who's a man after God's own heart and you're like oh the monarchy is forever God's God's throne is established forever and it's sh 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 very shortly after that things fall off the rails and by the time we get to first Kings chapter 17 we see Ahab is a king who has come into the kingship the, the nation's already divided right we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and so we're tracking now through the northern kingdom we have King Ahab who did evil in the sight of God who is to be the leader of God's people and now he's leading people astray because he marries a woman outside the people of God a woman named Jezebel and she's a worshiper of other gods. And because she has such influence on her husband, now her husband is worshiping all these other gods. And the nation of Israel is worshiping these other gods. And God's like, uh, that's not how this is supposed to work. Right? This, is, this is not how it's supposed to You're supposed to worship me and me alone. And so we see now that there's evil in the land the children of Ahab their sins are outpacing the sins of their parents and so this is this is a train wreck 
that's going downhill fast, that God's people have so far departed from where they were supposed to be that they're almost unrecognizable. So what does God do? God steps in. And he does it through the obedience of one man. It doesn't take an army. It doesn't take a nation. It doesn't take a whole group of people. It can begin with one person. And that's what we're gonna see today as we learn this truth. A life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. A life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. What does faith look like? Well, let's, let's begin. We're gonna begin in chapter 17, beginning in verse one. And what we're gonna see that a life of faith begins in unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. Look at verse one. It says, now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, now this is the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of God came to him and said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself from the book of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, and you shall drink from the book brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the book of Cherith at the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the Lord, a word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zareth. And it, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went down to Zareph, and he came upon the gate of the city, and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am preparing a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, there's a lot in there. We don't have a whole lot of time to uh, unpack all of that um, but what I want you to see is the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 17, it begins in a little bit of a shocking way. Out of nowhere, it seems that a young man comes on the scene named Elijah. We don't know anything about him. We don't know what his background is. All we know is that he's a Tishbite. We're not, we don't know he's a prophet. We don't know anything about him. But we do know immediately that he stands up because of the word of the Lord has come to him, and he goes before this wicked, wicked king, and he speaks. And he speaks, and he says, the Lord is not going to bring rain. 
This whole area is going to come under God's judgment and there will not be rain until God says so. And what we need to understand in that time and in this place in the world, in this land of Palestine, dew and rain were extremely important. And God's judgment now means that there was a drought in the land and this would be catastrophic for the kingdom. Now, what's going on here is in the background, not only is God bringing about his judgment, but God is also doing something bigger. He's showing that he's a bigger God than any other false god in the world. Because at this time, there were two gods that King Ahab and all of God's people were worshiping. It was, the first was the god Baal, which was the god of storms, and then his counterpart was the Asherah. Okay, so these, these are two Babylonian um, gods. These are two um, pagan gods that were being worshipped. And by God coming to Ahab to say, I am not going to bring the rain, what he's in essence saying is, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with Baal. Let's see who's the bigger God. When the rain doesn't come, you're going to cry out to Baal. You're going to cry out to him, and guess what's going to happen? The, the, the heavens will be dry. And as... Time goes on, guess what happens? The rain doesn't come. So that's happening in the background, but it's also in the forefront because God wants us to see the heart of Elijah. Elijah has unconditional obedience. Right? He knows what's at stake. Right? Elijah, a nobody, gets an audience with the king and comes, with it, comes out fighting. Right? He gives the king one mighty blow and says, guess what? God's not happy. Mic drop, I'm out. Right? He, he's, his life is like right before him because it's so dangerous. The king could have just had him immediately killed, could have immediately had him seized. But no, God was there. And we don't see Elijah saying, God, did you really say? Do you really want me to do that? No, he just does it. He does it and then what happens? He doesn't know the future. He doesn't know if God's going to protect him or or if this is his end. He doesn't know. But it doesn't matter. His heart was bent towards obedience. Let me give you a definition of obedience. Doing what you're told, when you're told, with the right heart attitude. That's obedience. Flat out. Don't ask questions. Just go. So his future wasn't certain. As he goes before the king, and immediately after he is obedient, what does God say? The word of the Lord came to him again. Because God knows if Elijah stays, there's going to be pain. But God's got to get Ahab's attention, so he says to Elijah, now go. Go. Go to this river and stay by the river. And then what does he say? Drink from the brook. You'll have water there, but I'm also going to provide for you. How? I'm going to send you ravens. Ravens in the morning, ravens in the evening, ravens all the summertime. Right? God's like, I'm going to show you every single day that you live that I'm here by your side. Now, Now, some of you are like type A kind of people. Some of you have like lived in the world and you've got some like street credit and some like street experience and you're like, that's not how it works. 
That's not how it works. Like, ravens, really? Really, really, God? You're going to send ravens? That's not what, that's not what Elijah does. It says, and he obeyed the word of God. He immediately got up and he left. And he goes by the brook. He sees the brook and he's like, okay, God, I'm here. And it's time for dinner and the ravens come and he gets food. He wakes up the next morning and there's food. The next evening, there's food. And he's obeying God, not asking questions, but he, he had to get out of there, right? So God had to create a, a place for him to go that was safe. And so he's in a safe place. He's eating. He's doing these things. The ravens are ministering to him every single day. God's grace is evident there every single day. And then guess what happens? Because there's a drought in the land. Right? The water dries up. And when the water dries up, the food dries up. Because you can't feed the plants. If there are no plants, then things don't grow and, and everyone dies because there's no food. So we see that the, the, the brook dries up. And in the right time and in the right way, God comes to Elijah again and says, Okay, now I want you to go to this town. And Elijah's like, Okay, God. And then it gets even crazier because God's like, Hey, guess what? You're going to go meet a widow. Now, for many of us, we're like, okay, he's going to go meet someone. No, no, no. This is a woman, a widow, that is in a desperate state herself. She has no husband to provide for her. And so God is stepping in and asking Elijah to do the impossible. Go to what seems can't do anything for you. Just obey. Do what you're told when you're told with right heart attitude. So what does, what does he do? He obeys. He packs up his stuff. And he treks the 100-mile journey deep into enemy territory. Jezebel's spies lived in this land. And so he's, he's literally taking his own life in his own hands and walking into danger. And as he comes into the city, he sees the widow there. And he's like, hey, can you, can you get, give me some water? She's like, Yeah. So can you make me some bread too? She's like, no, I'm gathering these sticks. I'm going home to me and my son and we're just gonna lay there and die because we have no more food. I have a little bit of oil left. I have a little bit of flour left. That's all I have. And Elijah's like, well, the word of the Lord told me. The word of the Lord said, do this. Can, can you just, just do this for me? Can you make me a little bit of bread? And so she does. And Elijah, from the Lord, makes a promise that while the, the rain is withheld, that jar of oil and that bunch of flour will never end. And so every single day, guess what? This widow who should not be able to provide for her family is being able to provide for her family through the blessing of the Lord. So every day they go back to, the, to make the bread and there's flour and there's oil. Anytime they wanted bread, there was flour and there was oil as a constant reminder that God is providing, God is providing, God is providing, God is providing. You see, what's so true about this, some of you are like, yeah, that's old. God doesn't work in this way in our diet, day and time. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But he's looking to us for us to be obedient, unconditionally. No questions, no discussions, no um, 
trying to, to change the heart of God, just simply saying, okay, God, whatever, whatever, wherever. You see, each one of us in our lives are looking for guidance. We all want to know the way, don't you? We want to know the way to go. We want to know how to parent. We want to know how, how we're supposed to be a, a better spouse. We want, to, we want to know these things, like what am I supposed to do with my We want to know these things. We want to know the way. And each one of us are searching for something to give us guidance. The problem is, is the majority of the world is looking for guidance in the wrong place. I heard a song this week that kind of, I think, encapsulates this trend in the world today. The the title of the song is, The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants. Meaning, that in the world today, we're told that our, let your heart be your guide. That's terrible advice. Don't ever let your, it doesn't matter how you feel. Like, follow your feelings. Follow what you love and what you desire. Like, be true to yourself are all lies. Because the Bible tells me a couple things. First, the Bible tells me that the heart is fickle. Meaning that your heart, what you desire, what you love, what you feel, what you crave is constantly changing. You wake up one morning and you love this. The next morning you don't love it. It's constantly changing. And so that that gives your life no roots. No wonder your life would be filled with so much anxiety because everything's changing. Everything's shifting. There's nothing to hold you center. If you're trusting in your heart. The Bible also tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. That the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart deceives us. Do you know why your heart deceives you? Because your heart cannot see the full picture. Hear me. Your heart can only see a slice of what's going on. You are limited in your view of things. Where God is unlimited in his view. God sees all, knows all. And if we're being guarded by our hearts, if we're being guided by our hearts, our hearts are deceiving us. This is why we need the word of God. God knows best. He's given us his word to be an anchor to our life. He tells us, do you want to have life and have it abundantly? Then come to me. Now, not, a, not an easy life, which we're going to see in just a moment. God doesn't call us to a life of ease, but God calls us to a life of purpose. God calls us to a life where we can truly live, and it comes through unconditional obedience. God, you say it, I'm going to do it. Is that your, the disposition of your heart? Or are you, when you think about the word of God, when it comes to you and he tells you to do something, are you the great negotiator? Oh, God, I hear you say, but hold on just a minute. Or do we come to God with our own plans? We say, God, here's here's my plans. Sign off on it. Give me your approval so I can go and walk in that. That's That's not the way we're supposed to live. Do not let your heart be your guide. Let God's word be your guide and obey. Simply obey. Now I gotta speed up because we're gonna be here way past lunchtime. 
I think one of the things that makes Elijah Elijah is that in the essence of his heart was a desire to obey. Is that at the essence of your heart? Not, not are you obeying? I'm not, that's not the question that we're asking right now. But in your heart, is there a deep desire that says, Lord, I want to obey you? Because I know of another servant, a better prophet that came who obeyed in every way. The Bible tells us this about Jesus who became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Right? The, 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 just that by nature servants obey their masters and we see that's exactly what Jesus did as we've already talked about today. Jesus willingly gave up his rights to go to a cross so that he could pay for our sins. And he would never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done. And because of his obedience, Scripture tells us that therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every tongue knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So a life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking it as a word. And second, I want us to see the life of faith is a life of complete dependence. Look with me in verse 17. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And he took from her from his arms and carried him up into the upper chambers where he lodged and laid on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he he revived And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chambers into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now now here's the thing. There's a deep question that's happening right here. We we immediately go from, from an epic situation to a deeply tragic situation. And I want you to see this. Following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, you're going to have to endure pain. Because life is painful. Life is painful, but in the pains of life, it constantly reminds us that we are absolutely 100% dependent upon God because we are not him. So this woman Now, who is seeing God provide every single day, now her son's dead, and she's like, Elijah, like, what's God doing? He saves us just to kill us? Like, that doesn't make sense. And then Elijah even goes, takes the boy to the upper room and is laying over him praying. He's like, God, why would you, why, God, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't, you've saved us just to kill us. You, you saved this young boy and now he's dead. But look at Elijah's response. He, two prayers. First is, is the prayer of lament. He's like, God, I don't understand you. But then as a prayer of utter dependence. He depends 100% on the Lord. He looks at the situation that is before him and he says, I can't, but God can. Like, that's how we should live our lives. Like you walk into difficulties, your first response should be, I can't, but God can. Not, I got this. Right, that's so many times we walk in situations, you, like a dad, after a long day at work, he comes in and the wife's like, I'm going crazy. The dad says, I got this. Famous last words. Because it's not about what we can do, but it's about us being dependent upon God. And so that's what he does. He prays. He prays to God. And God answers. God brings life. The, the first resurrection in scripture we see happening in 1 Kings. Wouldn't be the last but eventually, this boy would eventually die sometime in the future. But we see God stepping in and doing the miraculous. Why? Because there was complete and utter dependence. Dependence is something so foreign to our culture today. Because from the time that we are given breath, from the time that we start living this life, we're told, be independent. Right? We, live on a, we live in a country where we were founded on the declaration of independence. And so I'm going to live my life not needing anybody, not needing anything. I'm going to do it all for myself. And guess where that leads us? Alone. Completely lost and completely shattered. And I love that Elijah, through this complete chapter, is completely dependent upon God. You see, when we come to see the limitations, when we come to see our own limitations, that opens the doorway to an invitation to be dependent on God. When you come to your limits, guess what's beyond your limits? God. And that's the place where God wants us to be. Jesus himself says in John chapter 15 that I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you and I can do nothing. The disposition of our hearts should be at a place of complete and total dependence upon God. I was reading these lyrics from a song that we sing often here called Oceans. Oh, would this be the cry of our hearts. Listen to these words. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Where I wouldn't put limitations on you, God. Where my trust in you is without borders. Where I come before you with my whole life and my whole heart and I just say, God, just use me. Here I am and all my weakness, and all my failure, and all the ways I mess up. But God, Spirit, move in me so my trust is without borders. Lead me, or let me walk upon 
waters to do the impossible wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? I'll tell you what. Elijah was a man just like you and just like me. But there are two ways in which his heart had a different disposition than many people is that he had an utter desire to obey God. And he completely was dependent upon God in all things. If we had time today, I, would, I could tell you of all the ways that this has been true in my own life. I am who I am today because that's been the disposition of my heart. That I don't want what I want, I just want what God wants. And when you surrender like that, when you come to him and you say, Spirit, lead me where my faith is without borders. When you, when you come and you go all in with the Lord, guess what he does? He's like, okay, now you're a vessel I can use. So many times we come to the Lord and we're like, Lord, please use me, but don't touch this part of my life. You, you, can, have, like, you can have like my waist up of me but you can't have the waist down for me. Or you might even say, Lord, you can have all of me except for my big toe. I don't know why you need your big toe. But that's not what God wants. God wants all of you. So this morning, my prayer is that simply you would crawl upon the altar and just say, Lord, here is my pitiful life. Please, Use me. Let's pray. Father. Father, your words are true. What we have read this morning is not a fable. It's not a bedtime storybook. It's not allegory. It's not the figment of someone's imagination. This is your holy revelation to us that is without error. Your words are true. The way you responded in Elijah's life is the way that you respond in our life. Father, you're the same God. As we sung earlier, the same God of Moses, the same God of Mary, the same God of David, you're the same God. And as you were with them, we need you to be with us now. Give us a heart of obedience. Give us a disposition of dependence. Father, may this in our lives be a holy moment where we let go of all the things that we've been holding on to the things that falsely promise life, the things that falsely direct us and pass it, actually lead us away from you. So Father, let us let go. Let us with our lives say, I can't, but you can. Father, would you move us in this moment? Help us to make an altar right before us with the chair that's before us as we kneel, as we stand, or let us come before you as we kneel the foot of the stage, saying with our hearts and with our lives, God, here am I. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.